Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's time for the sweetest 16 of March. Hope you guys didn't have Kansas or Purdue or Arizona going too far in your bracket. All of your odds, props, promos, and parlays for college basketball are available on Bet Online Sportsbook. You can use our promo code Believe50. That's B L E A V five zero to get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous March 22nd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. There is only one topic that we can talk about here today on the show, and it is the championship and semifinals of the World Baseball Classic. This was the best sporting event since the Super Bowl. It was incredible. It was must-watch television. It was the most watched baseball game in history, and at every single point, stakes, storylines, drama, action, this game had it all. And so we're just going to take 30 minutes, 40 minutes to talk about everything that happened. And I love these types of days here on the Take It Easy podcast where we can sit down, tackle one game, one topic, one moment in sports that captures the excitement and the World Baseball Classic Championship game did just that. We're also going to talk a little bit about the semifinal because if you listen to our story yesterday, we talked about Randy Orozarena and the Mexican team and uh, speaking out against Cuba and the the Fidel Castro, well, previously Fidel Castro, but now the Castro family dictatorship in Cuba. We're going to follow up on that story a little bit at the end, but the thing I want to talk about pressingly that we didn't cover enough yesterday in our World Baseball Classic Hour is Shohei Otani, Team Japan, and the incredible, incredible championship game that we all got to watch. So to set the stage, let's travel to a galaxy far, far away, because remember, for me, baseball is... The same way people of a different generation treat Star Wars, which is really awesome as a kid and diminishing returns ever since. Also, I watched all nine Star Wars movies within the last 12 months, and the thing I realized is, oh, baseball is basically just Star Wars. And right now on our Star Wars journey, we are currently on episode five, 
where the Dodger Empire strikes back. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. All right, we have entered the Star Wars baseball universe so that we can talk about Jedi Master Otani and the incredible performance he and Team Japan put on in the semifinal on Monday and the championship game on Tuesday. And I want to start off talking about the championship game itself, which will lead us into the conversation about Otani. So during the championship game, before everything was going on, the broadcast on Fox, baseball people like Jeff Passan, who I was listening to on the Levitard show and read his article about Shohei Otani and the championship game for Japan, the storyline was around Mike Trout, the captain of Team USA, playing in the championship game against his teammate Shohei Otani, the best baseball player in the world, who had become legend in Japan 
long before this incredible World Baseball Classic run. A World Baseball Classic run which Shohei Otani did the things that makes him such a phenomenon here in America. Shohei Otani in the World Baseball Classic, this is courtesy of Eric Steffen on Twitter, Shohei Otani in the World Baseball Classic hit 435 had a 606 on base percentage and a 739 slugging percentage. That is an OPS of 1345 over the tournament, which would be better than Babe Ruth's best 10-game stretch in Major League Baseball during the the early 2000s. I'm sorry, not Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds's best stretch during the early 2000s during a 10-game stretch. He had four doubles and a home run. He also pitched nine and two-thirds innings, had two earned runs allowed, and had 11 strikeouts. Shohei Otani was a, a phenomenon long before this tournament, and in this tournament, he became a sensation. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we were going through the storylines of the tournament. It is Shohei Otani and Japan. That is the team, that is the setup. And Otani was going to bat in every game, and they had set it up so that Otani was going to be the closer for Team Japan when they got to that point in the game in which a closer was required. And Shohei Otani was running back and forth between the bullpen and the dugout and the bullpen and the dugout while also drawing a walk and striking out a couple times and then getting a big hit on a on a infield single in the seventh inning. And Otani yesterday, uh, well, I guess Monday, in the semifinal, with Team Japan down five to four in the bottom of the ninth, facing Giovanni Gallegos, the closer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Otani doubles into the gap, has his helmet fly off like Bryce Harper does, lands at second base gets up and just starts yelling, yelling to the dugout for Team Japan. And Shohei Otani gets so excited in that moment with the emotional outburst of trying to keep this run alive where it might be the only time Shohei Otani is the face of the tournament and the face of Team Japan. The next World Baseball Classic is three years from now and obviously Shohei Otani would plan to play. It's not going to be the same as this run where it is global phenomenon Shohei Otani playing in in his prime in his first World Baseball Classic with his former manager for the Nippon Ham Fighters coaching the team that uh, coaching Team Japan, the coach who was a former reporter who had traveled back and forth to America dozens of times during the Ichiro phenomenon, being the coach who convinced Shohei Otani to be a a two-way player, and this sensation was born out of that story. You have Shohei Otani with his former manager, the star of Team Japan, the star of the World Baseball Classic, hitting a double in the gap that ends up scoring the tying run, and the winning run would follow after that. Uh, Yoshida, who's the guy who signed with Japan, or or, sorry, the Japanese player who signed with the Boston Red Sox for $90 million, also got it on base. And then Murikama, who for I just learned about him during the championship game. He had the, the game-winning double to send them to the championship game, which was 
crazy and chaotic. Japan didn't lead the entire game until they crossed home plate to win in the bottom of the ninth. Murakama, who then had a home run in the to tie the game in the second inning of the championship. So in back-to-back at-bats, Murakama had the double that wins the semifinal and the solo home run that ties the game in the championship. Murakama, I found out, at 22 years old, won the triple crown in the Nippon Professional Baseball League in Japan last year. He, at 22 years old, won the triple crown in Japan. And he's not going to come to America for three more seasons because of arbitration rules in America. He will make more money playing in Japan than he will playing in the United States. And so Murakama drives in the game winner of Otani and Yoshida, even though they had a pinch runner for Yoshida, drives in the game winner for Team Japan and... They go to the championship, and the stage is set for Otani against Mike Trout, and it's Team USA against Team Japan, and Otani's the captain on one side, and uh, Trout or Otani's the phenomenon on one side, Trout's the captain on the other side. It's the f- biggest game Mike Trout has ever played in his career because he just hasn't played any meaningful baseball games. It's the most watched baseball game in history when you take in international audiences and America watching. The the highest rated baseball game ever was in the 1980s, which generated between 50 to 80 million people, depending on international rights rules. This game is expected to globally hit close to 90 million people watching. The most watched baseball game of all time is setting the stage for Mike Trout against Shohei Otani, Team USA versus Team Japan, and we got Trout versus Otani at the end. And we'll get to that in a little bit because the storyline is just so incredible. But back to Otani for a minute because now that we've set the stage, here's how Shohei Otani plays into this tournament. We mentioned earlier all the crazy stats around Shohei Otani, you know, hitting better than prime Barry Bonds during the tournament with four doubles and a home run, and then pitching. Two earned runs in nine and two-thirds innings, striking out 11 batters and throwing 102-mile-an-hour fastballs coming out of the bullpen. Shohei Otani, after the win on Monday, had this quote with Jeff Passan. Quote, It's been a while since I was playing a win-or-lose game, a playoff atmosphere game, says Otani, who has not reached the playoffs with the Angels. So obviously we couldn't lose, and I wanted to get the guys riled up in the dugout. And that was him after standing on second base, screaming towards Japan's dugout, and raising his arms in exultation twice. Seeing an emotional outburst from the best baseball player that exists in the world and maybe has existed over the last 50 to 75 years because of what he can do on pitching like Jacob deGrom and hitting like an all-star and launching. And then the other story before the game is, so Otani gives this quote afterwards about the, the incredible comeback win and the double and trying to get everyone riled up to beat Team Mexico. And... The next day, Shohei Otani, who rarely ever does batting practice on the field, wanted to send a message to Team USA 
by taking batting practice on the field and launching baseballs to the upper deck in Marlins Park. I have bet I went to the home run derby in 2021 at Coors Field. This was the home run derby Shohei Otani competed in and I think lost the championship to Juan Soto or Trey Mancini or something like that. But Shohei Otani was a phenomenon during that. He was launching baseballs further than the best home run hitters in the game. It was second. There's a third deck at Coors Field. He was hitting it to the third deck in right field. And Nolan Arenado, who played for Team USA, told Ken Rosenthal, and Ken mentioned this on the broadcast, he couldn't believe what he was seeing from Shohei Otani coming out here and just launching baseballs to the furthest upper deck at Marlins Park. And Shohei Otani sends a message by taking batting practice on the field, which he never does, and then comes into the game, and he's the option out of the bullpen for Team Japan. He is the bullpen pitcher, the closer for Team Japan. And Japan comes into this game, and with a rotation of, I think, like four or five pitchers, ends up holding Team USA to one run in seven innings. There was one pitcher who I'm pretty sure had a hickey on his neck and a pretty big one. I think it was the seventh inning pitcher. Uh, I think Taisei was his name on the back of his jersey. I apologize for not knowing what his full name was, but the player who had a giant hickey on his neck ended up retiring Team USA basically 1-2-3 in the seventh inning. And Team Japan was up 3-1. to one. There was basically three solo home runs. One by Trey Turner, one by, uh, what was the name I just said a little bit ago? The the player who won the Triple Crown uh, in, oh, Murakama, who won the Triple Crown back in 2000 and, or in 2022 at 22 years old, won the Triple Crown. Murakama hit a solo home run, and I can't remember the other player who hit a home run for Japan, but there were three solo home runs for four of the runs in the game, and... At this point, it feels like everything is pushing towards Shohei Otani getting to close out the World Series or getting to close out the World Baseball Classic for Team Japan in this culminating moment of his career. Even if Shohei Otani wins a championship in Major League Baseball, and even if Shohei Otani ends up having a, a career on another team besides the Angels that makes him a, a household name, not just in Major League Baseball, but across American sport. Even if Otani has this Alex Rodriguez-type second half of his career without the steroids or whatever, there's just not a lot of great comparisons. Even if he has this incredible back end of his career, this is the defining moment of Shohei Otani's career. And the reason this is the defining moment of Shohei Otani's career is because if he's going to win a championship in America, it's going to be alongside a number of other great players. Or it's going to be like what would happen if Mike Trout wins a championship now, which is, oh, Mike Trout finally got the big one in his career, which in this point, Mike Trout might have to make the playoffs first, but it's like, oh, Mike Trout finally got the big one done. And it's like a storyline where the older guy finally contributes to a champion team. 
It is not like Mookie Betts bursting on the scene in 2018 and being the player on the Boston Red Sox that was MVP and won the championship at 24 years old. That time has passed in Otani's career. We've rec- we know Otani. We've seen the accomplishments. Him being the focal point of a championship team probably isn't there anymore in his career. So even if he wins a championship for a Major League Baseball team, this is the defining moment of Shohei Otani's career. And the reason this is the case is, this is prime Otani. This is him at his physical prime being one of the only players that the world knows on a team that just won a championship. And where it feels like, even if it's not based in reality, it feels like Shohei Otani carried to a championship. Murakama is an incredible player for Japan, and we all just learned about him during this tournament, which is incredible. It's fun. Murakama gets to be that guy. And in the same way that for the American team, Paul Goldschmidt was never going to be the centerpiece, or Trey Turner, even as he wins World Baseball Classic Most Valuable Player if USA wins, this was Mike Trout's title. And... Mike Trout, being the best player on Team USA, would have been the defining moment of his career. And what's so interesting about watching Prime Otani carry for Japan, where we're watching in real time as he hits the double the night before that scores the game-winning run, and Murakama, who again is a triple crown winner over in Japan, hits the walk-off winner, and then you come to tonight... Murakama hits the solo home run, and then Otani, you see him going back and forth, getting ready to pitch, while also going one for three with a walk during the championship game. We're watching this happen in real time, and Otani is the story. He is the best player on that team. He is the leader emotionally of that team, and he also gives an awesome speech in which he says before the game, I know that we idolize these players. I know that we try and build things in the, like we try and look up to the Americans and build our league around the American model. He doesn't say that specifically, but that's more historical context. He says, I know we look up to these guys for one night. We're not looking up to them because we are here to beat them. We're better than them. And it was a super cool speech. And Otani gets to be the emotional leader because he's the guy He's the best player in the world, and you, Darvish, who used to be the best player in Japan for the period in between Ichiro and Shohei Otani, and they were talking about how like players on the team grew up watching him pitch in elementary school or in uh, grade school, and now Darvish is the old guy who comes in in the eighth inning and Kyle Schwarber hits a tank off of him, but they still get out of the inning to set up Otani in the ninth. Darvish... As he becomes the old guy who's like, oh, he got the big one. We then flip it back to Otani in his prime in the biggest moment of his baseball career on a world stage playing meaningful baseball for the first time any of us have seen because we weren't watching 2017 Nippon uh, Professional Baseball Championships. And so for the first time, we're watching Otani dominate with the stakes and not just the entertainment value of watching Otani. It's incredibly entertaining, but it also comes with stakes. And so as we're watching this play out, and as we're watching this storyline culminate with Otani at the end of the game, and it's going to be him closing it out for Team Japan, I find myself rooting for the story. 
Because I'm not getting into these types of tournaments for the international rah-rah of it. Yeah, it would be cool if America wins. It would have been cool if America had come out and like bulldozed them 7-1 to one so that we would have never gotten to this point. But as the game keeps progressing along and we get these entertaining pitchers duel type baseball atmospheres, you can see the storyline building to, uh, I think it was the sixth inning when Otani goes from the dugout and sprints out to the bullpen and then has to sprint back so he can hit later in the inning when the team gets the bases loaded and he has a chance of coming up. The narrative is building towards Otani. Even on the American broadcast, it is building towards Otani. It's Japan is up 3-1. to one. They're closing out Team USA. They, Team USA can't score except for solo home runs. Which the joke in there is that's what happens when you pick Cardinals and Phillies to be your 2-6 through six in the lineup. Or 3-7 through seven in the lineup is you're going to finish second place because all you can do is hit solo home runs with your lineup of only Cardinals and Phillies. We're seeing the narrative build towards Otani. Otani has been the, the hero captain of the team. He's the superhero who hits the double that sets up the game winner in the, in the first semifinal game. And he's got, he can pitch and he can hit and he's the Japanese superhero. He's the superhero baseball player leading team Japan. And as this game goes along, it's three to one in the fifth, in the sixth, in the seventh, the story is building to Otani closing out the World Baseball Classic. And once Schwarber hits the home run in the eighth inning, and once they get, I believe it was Trey Turner got a single after that off you Darvish, as we're watching the story build, we're starting to see it's not just going to be Otani closing out the World Baseball Classic. It's going to be Otani against Trout to close out the World Baseball Classic. And they said it on the broadcast. Joe Davis and John Smoltz, who, by the way, John Smoltz clearly only knew like three players on the Japanese team. Joe Davis and John Smoltz are counting the same way I'm doing at home when Trey Turner gets on first base and there's two outs and Cedric Mullins is coming up to the plate. We are saying it's going to be Trout and Otani. Jeff Passan and Bob Nightingale, friend of the show Bob Nightingale, are tweeting out, Shohei Otani is warming up in the bullpen. Mike Trout is due up third in the top of the ninth. And for 20 minutes, we're recognizing that this story has just become Otani. To this story has just become Otani and Trout to close out the World Series, or close out the World Baseball Classic. I know I keep saying World Series. This felt like a World Series game because I was texting my brother and saying this. I have turned the game off on closeout games of the World Series. When it was 2020 and Mookie Betts hit the home run in the seventh inning that sealed the World Series, I turned off the World Series after that. Last year in the closeout game for Houston, when it was clear Houston had the championship locked down in Game 5, turned it off. I have turned off closeout games of the World Series. This game, even if it were a 3-1 to game, was something I felt like I could not put down. 
I could not stop watching. It was so incredibly interesting. There were stakes, there were storylines, there was action, there was intrigue. There was Shohei Otani and all of the all of the incredible performances leading to this moment, which is going to be the greatest of his baseball career. And Otani gets to come in to close out the game. And it's Jeff McNeil walking to lead off the inning on a seven-pitch at-bat. Mookie Betts hit into a double play. Like, do you know how incredible the storyline had to be that Mookie Betts, MLB MVP, two-time World Series champion, Mookie Betts was getting overshadowed in this. At Mookie Betts is an afterthought in this story, and it's probably for the best for Mookie Betts because he hit into the double play that set up the last out of the game. Mookie Betts, who is an MLB MVP and the best player on two different world champion teams, one in Boston and one on the Dodgers. Like, Mookie Betts, the second most famous baseball player in the world, was an afterthought because of how this narrative had built up around Otani Trout. Otani Trout. More specifically, Otani. Trout got to be the person at the end who could either spoil it or more likely be the person who fell as Otani is crowned. That was what the narrative felt like it was building towards. And I found myself rooting for Otani, rooting for that story to come true. The same way that people who aren't from Argentina might have been rooting for Lionel Messi, even as Ronaldo fans begrudgingly may have given their respect to Messi during that championship game against Mbappe. I was giving that to Otani. I wanted that story to end with Otani striking out Mike Trout. I wanted that to end with Otani getting the last out of the defining moment of his baseball career against Mike Trout. And for all the people who say baseball doesn't put the best against the best, this one, the cards broke right. You know what? It's a fair criticism. It is a fair criticism. And this plays into what we talked about last week, or sorry, yesterday, when it came to people who don't watch baseball, more specifically white people who don't watch baseball, driving the narratives around baseball, and why we should stop doing that because for this World Baseball Classic, this was a reward for people who really love baseball. Like, for people who love baseball, and this is why baseball is a thriving sport, because the people who love baseball, love baseball. And for those people who love baseball, all the stakes, all the storylines, all the action, all the entertainment was leading to this culminating moment where Shohei Otani is closing out the biggest moment of his baseball career and there's nothing he can do that will top it. Not joining another team and winning a championship, not winning multiple championships, not winning another MVP. The culminating moment of Shohei Otani's baseball career against the player who is his teammate and the player who before Otani, the person who took the mantle from The person who he had to take the mantle from as the best player in the sport. His teammate, his friend, the team that never plays a meaningful game despite having the greatest baseball player ever and the modern Babe Ruth. 
to have that come together. Two players who have never played a meaningful baseball game in their Major League Baseball careers on the Angels have never played a meaningful baseball game. Those two players, Mike Trout a little past his prime, Shohei Otani in the midst of his prime, going head-to-head for the last out of the World Baseball Classic, where if, if for whatever reason, Mike Trout hits a home run, we have a tie game. In that circumstance, the cards broke right. Because a lot of times, it's Jeff McNeil taking that at bat. It's the last out of the World Series being a random player on a, on a random, you know, a, 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 this is not to disparage this player by any means. I'm just throwing out a name. A Travis Darno gets to be the last out. Rarely do you get that moment where it is the generational superstar, the generational superstar, the two teammates, the two players who have never played a meaningful baseball game. And for Mike Trout, this will probably be the most meaningful baseball game of his career. To have that moment between those two players was the cards breaking right. Good luck, whatever you want to call it. The perfect storyline. The perfect baseball moment. And not only that, the count got to three and two. It's not like the whole at-bat wasn't incredible also. Like every pitch you're just hanging on. Like, it is the last out of the World Series. And this was probably better than the last out of the World Series. Because I've watched World... I've turned off World Series games before. Usually the last out of a World Series game, the game is not in the balance. It is not one game win or go home. Even when it is one game win or go home, the last out sometimes is 7-1 Houston Astros over Dodgers. Sometimes the last out is a culmination and not one where the game still hangs in the balance. This was the moment and had a case for being the greatest at-bat ever in the history of baseball. You have the generational star of the past, the generational star of the present. Teammates and teammates who somehow, despite all the odds, don't play meaningful games in America. You have the crowning of Otani for the biggest moment of his career, being the reason why Team Japan wins the championship. Universally regarded as the best player, and being the reason they win the championship. And Otani against Trout was that incredible moment. All the storylines, all the stakes, all culminating in that one six-pitch at-bat that got to a 3-2 count, and Otani threw the slider, and Trout missed, and he threw his glove, and threw his hat, and it's a mob at the mound. It is the most quintessential baseball moment that I can remember. Because the thing that I say is stakes and storylines are what drive interest in sport. This game not only had all of the stakes, all of the storylines for the best players in the world, it had entertainment, and it had action, and all of it culminated at a perfect moment that we can remember forever. The five-minute at-bat between Trout and Otani will live forever it is part of their stories 
It is part of baseball stories. And as this international competition begins to take off the way that it did this year in a way that even 2017 didn't feel like, as this international competition takes off, it is a reward for the baseball fan and it delivered an emotionally charged moment that will live forever. And as I talked about yesterday, part of the problem with baseball is that people who don't watch baseball drive the narrative around baseball. They drive the storylines and they drive the conversations because of this feeling of needing mass approval. Baseball is a niche sport. And once you come to accept that baseball is a niche regional sport, and if you're someone who still loves it for what it is like I do, in a way that people still love Star Wars for what it is now and not what it used to be, then you got rewarded with an incredible moment. One that rivals the Super Bowl for a Kansas City fan. One that rivals past NBA Finals games and Finals series. This was, and one that rivals two of the last three World Series. The 2020 World Series, the 2021 World Series, and the 2022 World Series all paled in comparison to the stakes, storylines, entertainment, and action that came with this World Baseball Classic. Some might argue the stakes are lower in this than, say, the World Series. To those players, they were vocal about it was not. And the stakes, regardless of comparison shopping between World Series and World Baseball Classic, the stakes were there. This is for a world championship. And it's a winner-go-home, one-game elimination tournament that had all of the drama, all the action, all the entertainment, and all the storylines added onto stakes because people really cared. And all of that is a reward for the baseball fan. For the people like me who love baseball, it was a reward for the baseball fan. And for those who didn't watch it and didn't invest in the stakes and the storylines and the entertainment and got to enjoy the entertainment and the action, you just missed out on an opportunity. And that's okay. I skip out on all the, on these opportunities all the time. I skip the storylines of the World Cup. I skip the storylines of the Olympics. I skip the storylines of, say, the UFC or tennis or boxing. I skip out on those storylines all the time. It's not a problem to skip out on the storyline of baseball. If you're someone who loves the sport, you got rewarded with that game, those stakes, and those storylines, and those two players, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, getting a meaningful game for the first time in their incredible, incredible baseball careers. And for Shohei Otani, who ends up being the victor at the end of the day, it is the defining moment of what will go down as one of the most unique and quite possibly one of the best baseball careers of all time. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star 
restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim, who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.